and welcome to the For We Are Many podcast. My name is Rob, and I'll be your host this evening. We will be uh, discussing the Battle of the Overpass in Dearborn, Michigan, uh, May 1937. Um, Ford at the River Rouge plant um, mobilized security forces against uh, UAW organizers. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Uh, This week we've had a pretty productive week. Um, All of our content is available on our website, our YouTube, our Facebook, and uh, your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, Monday, we did part two of Emma Goldman's Anarchism and Other Essays in our Revolutionary Left Book Club. Um, And then Tuesday... Instead of having our normal current event stream, we had a future event stream. No, uh, we had the Star Trek communist special. We had him on. We were talking about Star Trek and communism, where the two meet, um, how what his response has been like from the fandom at, at cons and whatnot. Um, it was an amazing episode. I can't even try to sum up that episode. It was great. Uh, Will was a great guest, and we can't wait to have him back again. Um, now for the Battle of the Overpass, um, I have some silent video that I'm going to play while I start to talk about it. Alright, damn it. Alright, so, um, in, I, I guess I'll, I'll do a brief overview first. The, the Battle of the Overpass was an incident on May 26th, 1937, in which Walter Ruther and members of the UAW clashed with Ford Motor Company security guards at the River Rouge plant complex in Dearborn, Michigan. After images of the incident were released to the public, support for Henry Ford and his company greatly decreased. Um, It started with a UAW leaflet campaign, and um, I just want to point out um, that propaganda is important. Leaflets... um, Worker newspapers, these kind of things are fucking important in building this class solidarity. Um, Anyway, the UAW had planned a leaflet campaign entitled Unionism, Not Fordism, uh, which was referring to the fact that Ford uh, adamantly declared that he didn't need a union because, you know, the $5, 8-hour workday, whatever. Anyway... Uh, you know, the shit capitalists usually say to try to subdue. Class, um, they were demanding an $8 equivalent to about $150 today. Six hour workday for workers in contrast to the $6 or roughly $108 today, eight hour day then in place. The campaign was planned for a shift change time. 
uh, with an expected 9,000 workers both entering and leaving the plant. At approximately 2 p.m., several of the leading UAW organizers, including Walter Ruther and Richard Frankenstein, were asked by a Detroit newspaper photographer, uh, James R. Scotty Kilpatrick, to pose for a picture on the overfat overpass with the Ford sign in the background. While they were posing, men from Ford's service department, what an interesting name for an internal security force. Ford's service department, under the direction of Harry Bennett, came from behind and began to beat them. Hmm, coming from the back, you little bitch. The number of attackers is disputed, but may have been as many as 40. Frankenstein had his jacket pulled over his head and was kicked and punched. Ruther described some of the treatment he received. Quote, seven times they raised me off the concrete and slammed me down on it. They pinned my arms and I was punched and kicked and dragged by my feet to the stairway, thrown down the first flight of steps, picked up, slammed down on the platform, and kicked down the second flight. On the ground, they beat me and kicked me some more. One union organizer named Richard Merriweather suffered a broken back as a result of the beating he received. The security forces mob also attempted to destroy photographic plates, but the Detroit News photographer James R. Kilpatrick hid the photographic plates under the back seat of his car and surrendered useless plates that he had on his front seat. News and photos of the brutal attack made headlines in newspapers across the country. As it should have. As it fucking should have. Um... I mean, I guess there's not really any more that I can say about that. Uh, it is on the working class to to put these things out there for the world. And that includes media. Uh, the Detroit News isn't necessarily great, but there's been some pretty damn radical people that have worked for the Detroit News over the years, especially back in the heyday of the unions. Um, so solidarity with photographer James Kilpatrick and, uh, hiding the plates, ultimately. In spite of the photographs and many witnesses, um, who had heard his men specifically seek out Frankenstein and Ruther, security director Bennett claimed, quote, the affair was deliberately provoked by union officials. Union thugs, wow, how original. They simply wanted to trump up a charge of Ford brutality. I know definitely no Ford serviceman or plant police were involved in any way in the fight. Jesus Christ. There's pictures of it, but yeah, it didn't fucking happen, right? 9,000 people entering and leaving the plant, nobody saw it, right? Shut the fuck up, Bennett. The incident greatly increased support for the UAW and hurt Ford's reputation. Uh, Bennett and Ford were chastised by the National Labor Relations Board for their actions. Three years later, Ford signed a contract with the UAW, and a partially fictitious account of these events appear in Upton Sinclair's book, The Fiverr King. Fiverr? The Fliver King. Um, and, and this isn't the first incident of um, by the way this this 
this year, the, the overpass they keep showing, the pedestrian overpass, is where the Battle of the Overpass took place. Um, obviously, it wasn't necessarily a, a, a battle in the in the, the gun-blazing kind of sense. But anyway, this uh, the Fort Hunger March had happened in March of 1932. That was only five years earlier. Both took place during the Depression. Um, and the, the Fort Hunger March in 1932, kind of like... I, I don't want to say it was a directly a contributing factor in the Battle of the Overpass, but it shows that Ford's workers were unhappy prior to the Battle of the Overpass. Um, anyway, the... Unemployed auto workers in Detroit in 1932, uh, they marched from Detroit to Dearborn in a confrontation in which four workers were shot to death by the Dearborn Police Department and security guards employed by the Ford uh, Motor Company. More than 60 workers were injured, many by gunshot wounds. Three months later, a fifth worker died of his injuries. The march was supported by the unemployed councils, which was a product of the Communist Party USA. It was an important part of a chain of events that resulted in the un uh, unionization of the U.S. auto industry. So I'm not going to do a whole dive into that because I would kind of like to do our own piece on that, uh, its own piece. But the point is, is that Ford, from the beginning, um, was very anti-union. That never changed throughout the years. Um, that never changed throughout the years, and um, I, I don't know how else to say it, I guess. Um, why is this video still playing? Anyway, um, the, the point is, is this was in response to a leaflet campaign. They were trying to scare union organizers out of handing out these leaflets. And, well, I mean, from the sounds of it, there was a scuffle from the sounds of it. Um, From, from, from the sounds of it, they just didn't take it lying down. Of course they didn't, but they were seriously outnumbered. There was, what, six of them? By, by the looks of the, the pictures here. But um, it, it's just wild that they sent as many as 40 security forces to attack these union organizers for handing out pieces of paper. And I mean, realistically, a hundred and fifty dollars six-hour day for workers—that should be—that should have been the norm. Well, it would be a hundred and fifty dollars today. It was eight dollars then, but you get the point. Um, I, I don't think that's too much to ask, especially with the the level of profits that Ford was already making through the depression, uh, which <laughs> that that that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. How dare they want to 
chip into Henry Ford's profits. And I'm not saying that he didn't do the work to get that building and uh, to build up his fucking productive forces. That's not what I'm saying. He built his first car in his garage by himself. Okay, that's fine. But how many cars rolled off that assembly line? How many consumer cars made by Ford were actually made by Ford? None? Hmm. It's almost like he got there on the back of his workers. Um, the National Labor Relations Board obviously got involved, um, which is good, obviously. Um, but that organization has never had the kind of real power to back the working class. It never has. Um, and, and this is one of many things that happened in the Rust Belt uh, through the Depression. Uh, workers were just fucking sick of it. Uh, we had the, the Flint sit-down strike the same year, if I remember right. It was, uh, it was early... Give me just a second. I'm pulling up link. Yeah, it was. It started on December thirtieth, nineteen thirty-six. Ended on February eleventh, nineteen thirty-seven, um, and that was really the birth of the UAW as we know it. That was their their big uh, claim to fame at the time, and of course, workers at Ford wanted the same kind of treatment that the UAWs got at GM and Flint, um, and in a matter of class solidarity, the UAW helped organize Ford, and Ford responded with force. Um, much like the Flint sit-down strike, there's, there's a lot of things that led up to it. Uh, poor working conditions, um, long hours, uh, probably being the two, the big two. Um, but the, the point is, though, is that even at Ford, there was a hunger march back in 1932. Or, you know, at, at GM. It's not like the sit-down strike was the first fucking thing. No, it was the first massively successful strike. And to be blunt, it scared the shit out of the powers that be because they, they occupied the factory. They couldn't just bring in scabs. They occupied the factory. They literally seized the means of production. That being said... We have our own piece on the Flint sit-down strike. I just wanted to draw comparisons. I wasn't trying to like go down that rabbit hole. If you want to learn about the Flint sit-down strike, we have a piece about it um, on our website for wearemany.org. Uh, there should be a search option. Just search for Flint. You'll find it. Um, so anyway, the back to the, the Battle of the Overpass. Um... It probably would have gone unrecorded if it wasn't for, uh, was it James Kilpatrick? Yes, James Scotty Kilpatrick. Anyway, um, in 1937, Walter Ruther and his UAW union uh, uh, had brought General Motors and Chrysler. We'll talk about Chrysler in another episode, I'm sure. 
to their knees by uh, staging massive sit-down strikes in pursuit of higher pay, shorter hours, and other improvements in workers' lives. When Ruther and the UAW set their sights on the Ford Motor Company's River Rouge Complex in Dearborn, Michigan, <laughs> Henry Ford made it clear that he'd never give in to the union. Never say never, Henry. What'd you learn? On the morning of May 26, 1937, uh, Detroit News photographer James Kilpatrick was among a crowd waiting for the shift change. Obviously, uh, union organizers had probably tipped them off. Hey, come up here, get some pictures, yada, yada, yada. That's called propaganda. That's what every one of you should be doing when you, when you are doing something like this. But anyway, just a reminder here, which employed 90,000 workers. Just the, the River Rouge complex, 90,000 workers. That's a lot of motherfuckers to... to <laughs> call comrades, I guess. I, I lost the word I was trying to use there, but anyway. About 2 p.m., Ruther arrived at the Miller Road overpass at Gate 4 with an entourage of clergymen, representatives from the Senate Committee on Civil Li Liberties, and dozens of women, women sorry, from UAW Local 174, where Ruther was president. The women wore, the women wore green berets and carried leaflets reading Unionism, not, Forded, not Fordism, which they intended to hand out to departing workers. At the direction of Kilpatrick, Ruther posed for photographs with UAW organizational director Richard Frankenstein and a few other organizers atop the overpass, which was public property, with the Ford, uh, Ford Motor Company sign in the background. And then Harry Bennett showed up. Bennett was one of Ford's right-hand men, led the notorious Ford Service Department, a private police force composed of ex-convicts, ex-athletes, ex-cops, and gang members. And they told him, you'll have to get off here. Ruther replied, we're not doing anything. Um, there, uh, I would like to try to find more of these pictures. There's... There's a couple on these stories that I'm reading this from, but I would much rather um, find a collection. Um, I hope to do that during this episode. Like that, what would become infamous as the Battle of the Overpass was on. Forty of Bennett's men charged the Union organizers. Kilpatrick called out a warning, but the security men pounced, beating the Union leaders while reporters and clergy looked on. Kilpatrick and the other uh, photographers began snapping away, and reporters accompanying them took notes on what they were seeing. Ruther was kicked, stomped, lifted into the air, thrown to the ground repeatedly, and tossed down two flights of stairs. Frankenstein, a 30-year-old, hulking former football player, got it worse because he tried to fight back. Bennett's men swarmed him, pulling his jacket over his head and beat him senseless. It was the worst like I'd ever taken, he later told reporters. They bounced us down the concrete steps of an overpass we had climbed, then they would knock us down, stand us up, knock us down again. Another union leader was tossed off the overpass. His fall 30 feet to the pavement below broke his back. The security men even roughed up some of the women. So the one who broke his back, conveniently omitted by Wikipedia, which is why I don't use them as my only source, Wikipedia failed to point out that he was thrown over the overpass. 
They just made it sound like, you know, he was kicked into a broken back. No. And uh, for that matter, I mean, he's a pretty big guy. Let me let me screen share real quick. Hold on, hold on, hold on. All right. This is him right here, Frankenstein, and with his jacket pulled over his head, and the rest of them are members of the Ford Service Department. Here's another reporter, but you see that he's got a significant size advantage on all of those uh, service department men. Um, and uh, it's, it's just wild, you guys. It's just fucking wild. Um, I wish that they had a name for the dude that was tossed off the overpath, overpass. The battle, such as it was, ended almost as suddenly as it had begun. But then there was the matter of witnesses, especially the journalists on the scene. And some of Bennett's security men began to tear notebook, notebooks from reporters' hands. Uh, others went after the photographers, confiscating film and smashing cameras to the ground. They chased one fleeing photographer for five miles until he ducked into a police station for safety. Um, granted, I don't know what Dearborn was like in 1937, obviously, but I mean... He could have been well into Detroit at that point, or, you know, probably fucking approaching Livonia going the other way. Anyway, uh, Scotty Kilpatrick fled too and made it to his car in just enough time to hide the glass plate negatives from his speed graphic under the back seat. When some Bennett men stopped him and demanded that he surrender his negatives, he handed them unexposed plates. Once Ruther, Frankenstein, and witnesses began to tell reporters what they had seen in front of the Ford plant, Harry Bennett issued a statement. Quote, well, I actually already read this, but uh, this is the, the full quote. Um, so I'm going to go for it. The affair was deliberately provoked by union officials. <laughs> they feel with or without, you mean with, justification that the La Follette Civil Liberties Committee sympathizes with their aims, and they simply wanted to trump up a charge of Ford brutality that they could take down to Washington and flaunt before the Senatorial Committee. I know definitely, definitely, no Ford servicemen or plant police were involved in any way in the fight. As a matter of fact, the servicemen had issued instructions the Union people could come and distribute their pamphlets at the gates, so long as they didn't interfere, interfere with employees at work. The unionists, he said, quote, were beaten by regular Ford employees who were on their way to work in the, uh, on the afternoon shift. The union men called them scabs and cursed and taunted them. Dearborn police later said that the Ford Service Department was defending public property, I mean, pigs look out for pigs. Tale as old as time, right? This is almost 100 years ago. Are you surprised by this? You shouldn't be. 
Meanwhile, Scotty Kilpatrick developed his negatives and other photographers after the event captured on film the injuries to the bloodied Ruther and Frankenstein. Quote, If Mr. Ford thinks this will stop us, he's got another thing coming. We'll go back there with enough men to lick him at his own game. That could have easily devolved into an actual fucking armed conflict. I'm just saying, Ford was pretty fucking stupid in doing this. Um... There, there was already... Detroit was already a powder keg. The entire area around Detroit. Based on uh, race issues. I mean, remember, the, the first Detroit riot was less than six years out at this point. These issues were building for a long time. Ruther, on the other hand, was more composed. Quote, Before the UAW gets through with Harry Bennett and Ford Service Department... Dearborn will be a part of the United States, and the workers will, will be able to enjoy their constitutional rights. Bennett did his best to put his version into news accounts of the Battle of the Overpass, but once Kilpatrick's photographs were published, it was obvious that the beatings were far more violent than Bennett had described, and they showed Ford security men surrounding and beating UAW men and grabbing UAW women. In all, 16 Unionists were injured in the attack, including seven women. <coughs> <coughs> Ooh, don't inhale your spit. Ooh, Ruther was pictured bloodied and with a swollen skull, and Frankenstein was even worse, his face cut and shirt torn and blood stained. Kilpatrick's photographs quickly turned public opinion toward the notion that the Ford Service Department was a gang of hired fucking thugs. They were. They were. The Ford Service Department is no different than, um... Rainfart. The people at General Motors. If Dean was here, he'd probably make fun of me for not remembering. But, anyway... Um... In a hearing of the National Labor Relations Board in 1937... The Ford Motor Company was called to defend itself from charges that the company was engaging in unfair labor practices in violation of the 1935 Wagner Act, only passed two years earlier, um, which prohibited employers from interfering with workers' efforts to organize into unions. The Wagner Act has, has been... I don't know if it was uh, fully repealed, but I know that it, it no longer provides that kind of protection uh, like it was intended to. And we always see that kind of reform, counter-reform. That's why most of us on this podcast have lost all hope in liberalism. There's no fixing these systemic designed... What we're told to refer to as flaws. They're, they're not flaws. They're... Our system is functioning exactly as it was designed. Anyway, during the hearing, Ford workers testified that if their superiors suspected them of showing an interest in the UAW, Ford Service Department men would pull them from the assembly lines and escort them to the gate as they were fired on the spot, often without explanation. If their superiors suspected them of showing interest in the UAW... The publicity, though, from the Battle of the Overpass and the ensuing Labor Board hearing proved to be too much for Henry Ford. 
He had tried to raise his workers' pay soon after the incident in Dearborn, but his efforts came too late, and ultimately, like Detroit's other automotive giants, he had no choice but to sign a contract with the UAW. The power of Kilpatrick's photographs eventually vaulted uh, Walter Ruther into national prominence as a labor leader and prompted the administrators of the Pulitzer Prizes to institute an award for, t for photography. The first Pulitzer for photography uh, would be awarded to Milton Brooks, also of the Detroit News, in 1942 um, for his image of UAW strikers savagely beating a strike breaker or a scab. Um, so this fight is nowhere near over it under this current system. It never will be our for forefathers fought long, hard battles for the concessions that they were given. And what you and I make today is nowhere near what it should be. Um, yeah. But the point is, though, is that when workers stick together, when workers build class consciousness and build solidarity, they're unstoppable. The world is run by the working class, even if we're not the ones calling the shots. We should be. But if we stand together in unity, in solidarity, then we will win. That's really all I have to say about that. Um, obviously, this this piece is going to be much shorter than our usual uh, pieces. Um, I am, before I'm done, though, pulling up a Google image, Images search of Kilpatrick's images. Uh, all right, give me just one second here. I gotta switch this over to the other screen. <clears throat> um, now remember that there should have been a hell of a lot more photos uh, than what actually ended up surviving. A lot of cameras were smashed. Notebooks were ripped out of journalists' hands. And you want to know what it reminds me of, to be honest? Last summer. Last summer, we saw cameras smashed by police. Last summer, we saw uh, police ignoring press passes and literally attacking journalists. Um, we saw the destruction of microphones, of battery packs. We still see this exact same thing today. And it's never going to stop until we are on the same side. Now, this is um, Frankenstein, right? And obviously, he's a big guy, as I showed earlier. I didn't think that was going to take that long to load. And it's not even a bigger picture. That's kind of funny. But... Uh, Frankenstein, UAW organizer. Fucking why? Because he was standing up for his own rights? 
Um, hey, look, <laughs> 24 hours with Occupy Detroit. Uh, speaking of, I wanted to remind everybody that the 10th anniversary of Occupy is not very far away. What is it, a week? Yeah, a week. A week, you guys. It's been 10 years. Oh my god, I feel so old talking about it. But no. Um, Occupy seems to be joining forces with Extinction Rebellion, and we're looking at, uh, at Occupy 2.0 um, being focused on class and climate change. I don't have all the details. All I can say is go to Twitter, go to Occupy Wall Street NYC, um, go to Adbusters. Uh, there, there's a lot of things coming up. And for that matter, Occupy is not the only movement attempting to do things on the 17th of September through the 15th of October. There's a lot of things going on. I believe it's a sign of synchronicity. And I believe that it's important for all of us. Um, so yeah, please, by all means, do that. <coughs> Check out our website at forwearemany.org. Uh, follow us on our social media pages. We have a group on Facebook, um, which we post in there more than we post to the page because there's less risk of trolls. But that is that is called the For We Are Many Discussion and Education Group. We're in there every day talking about these same issues, trying to build class consciousness. And um, the more people that get involved with it, the more successful it will be. So I guess I'm asking all of you to come be a part of it. Um, you know, share posts from our page when you can. Um, you know, help us get that extra reach. You can support our efforts materially at patreon.com slash for we are many. Um, and uh, I know we haven't promoted it well, so it, it's worth bringing up that uh, Wednesdays at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, we are doing State and Revolution by Vladimir Lenin uh, in conjunction with um, the Bread Theory podcast. Uh, it can be found on, I think, pretty much any social media platform as at at bread underscore theory. Once again, I want to thank all of you for tuning in tonight to discuss the Battle of the Overpass. Um, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, criticisms, put them in the comments. Send you a message to the Facebook page. Um, yeah. And check out our Star Trek Communist special from Tuesday, if you missed that. Um, we've shared it around quite a bit, but if, if you all want to um, help us out with that, it would be much appreciated. Anyway, uh, we will see you Monday for Anarchism and Other Essays. Until then, solidarity, uh, live long and prosper. Uh, yeah, have a good night and stay safe.